0: Would you open your Bibles this morning? Uh, we're going to ask you to open them to two places this morning. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we'll be studying verses 18 through 23. As well as Luke chapter 2. And there we'll be studying verses 13 and 14. And as Eric said, uh, this begins our, our Advent series. Uh, four sermons um, that will be focusing on God with us. And it'll be specifically um, relating and pointing to how God is with us in peace. How many of us need that? In joy. In love. And in hope. And so that's the next, in fact, that's the New Year's message. uh, On on Sunday, January 1st, is is God is with us in hope. Um, So... As we read this morning, I'm going to ask that you would notice how the declarations about the birth of Christ is not just good news about how individual people can be restored to a right relationship with God. In our, it's just so easy, as you citizens of the United States, you know, we're very consumer-minded, very, uh, very, um, it's, things are so privatized. Christianity is not a privatized deal. Um, I want you to notice how these declarations are not just to individual people, but it's also really, really good news about how those very people can be restored to a right relationship with each other. And that's called the church. That's something the Bible calls the church. So be listening for the individual part, certainly. Certainly. That's just going to come pretty naturally. But would you be intentional about listening to the plurality? There's a lot of y'all in these passages, okay? So, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 23. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now to Luke 2, verses 13 and 14 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Oh, Heavenly Father, may may the text that is preached from my lips, could you, by your Holy Spirit and by your grace, make it the experience of our hearts. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this Advent season, we're going to remember that God actually designed the birth of Christ to give us two gifts. God most certainly wants to give the personal gift of Christ as our Savior. And if you're here this morning and you have never met Jesus in a personal saving way, in a way that that you were compelled to turn away from a life of self-focus and sinfulness and selfishness and compelled by this love to turn in faith to what Jesus has done for you at the cross, oh, the Lord will be very personal to give you the gift of Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there's such, such good news. So certainly the Lord wants to give the personal gift of Christ as our Savior. And with Christ, there is a second gift that God wants to give those whom he saved. He also wants to give them the gift of Christ in his church. That's why you're going to hear this, God with us. Peace among men among those with whom he is well-pleased. There's a plural thing going on, not just an individual thing going on. If you were to ask God what he would most want to give his people for Christmas, I think the biblical answer would be that he would want to give us the gift of Christ as our mighty Savior and the gift of Christ in his church as our missional family. The gift of Christ as our mighty Savior, and the gift of His church as a missional family, not only for Christmas, but all the time. We hope that this Advent series will be timely for the many new members and attenders that we've been blessed to welcome here at Sovereign Grace Church. We hope the thought that God wants to give you the gift of Christ in a local church For Christmas (laughs) encourages and comforts and brings joy to your hearts. Oh, how we hope that. And I also hope hope that you're encouraged that we as elders want to do everything we can to either help you find a Christ-centered local church here in Midland. So we're we're gonna be talking about Christ in the church, particularly this local church. But we know there are many good gospel-centered churches in Midland. And so I mean, when I'm speaking today, I hope you understand, especially if you're a first or second time visitor, that this is not saying, oh, we, we are all that as a church. <laughs> we are not all that. Look at the guy who's the lead pastor. That's all you have to do. Feel better about yourself. Look at the lead guy. Um, <laughs> and uh, thank you for Donald McClure, Lord. Thank you for Donald. Um, so we, we want to either help you find a Christ-centered church family, uh, or to help you quickly feel welcomed and loved and equipped and encouraged in this church family. That's our, that's our desire, uh, that we could equip you and edify you for ministry and mission as quickly as possible, and that you would feel welcome here. I, isn't there countless places that you go that you just don't feel like you're out of place there? There's just so many places that we go, I just, I just don't feel like I fit in here. Listen, this is a place where sinners come. This is a place where sinners are welcome. This is a place where broken people are welcome. This is a place where arms are extended and hearts are open because of how God welcomed us as as his sons and daughters through the sacrifice Christ made for us. Who would we be if we weren't extending that same welcome to one another? Could I ask for some congregational participation? This might be illuminating for for everyone as we kind of look around at this. Um, Could I ask, how many of you have been members at Sovereign Grace for two years or less? Could you just raise your hand? You've been members at Sovereign Grace for two years or less. Okay, and I'm being able to see everybody. um, And listen, guys, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. (laughs) Um, how many of you, you haven't, you're haven't you not a Sovereign Grace member, but how many of you have been attending Sovereign Grace for how about the last three months or less, including if this is your first time here? How many of you have been the last three months or less? Wow. That's, well, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. How we want you to experience Christ personally in salvation and corporately in loving sanctification and mission at Sovereign Grace Church, but I also have a word for those who have been here longer. Just as importantly, we hope that the thought that God wants to give the gift of Christ in his church is, could be as encouraging to those of you who have been members here for many years. Listen, given our growth over the last few years, the church is not just new to our new members and attenders. And I've talked to some of these. like, you know, I come in Sunday after Sunday and I'm going... Where are all these people Who coming from? Who are all these people? I'm just thankful you come back on Sundays. I get in the pulpit and I go, oh, you came back. I can't believe it. Um, this is so exciting that, that there are so many new members. But you know what that does? It makes it feel pretty new for an older member too. I'm guessing that the church feels somewhat new and different to an older member. And my prayer is that God would give us grace for our love for one another to grow in proportion to the growth of the membership and the attenders at SGC. It would be like this. How many of you, when you were first-time parents, you've had your first child, and you are head over heels in love with that little boy that little girl. For us, it was Will. He was our firstborn. And, and Jan is pregnant uh, with Micah, and I start having this weird kind of dilemma in my heart. How am I going to love two sons as much as I love one how am I going to do that I, I the only thing I could figure is that I guess you have to give a half kind of half and half divide it half and half between the two and then Joshua would come several years later what do I do divide my love in thirds but miracle of miracles God grew my love for each one of them to where I gave 100% love. Of course, I wonder, I don't know if they would always say that I did. But, but I, I wanted, I tried to give 100% love. I felt 100% love for all three of them. God grew my capacity to love as my family grew. And you guys, I believe the Lord will do that for a church family too. Would you, would you be part of, if you've been with us for several years, would you make that one of your prayers? God, grow my heart to love in proportion to the numbers of our new members and the growth that we're seeing. Um, so let me ask you this again, some congregational uh, involvement. Uh, how many have you have been at Sovereign Grace Church for five years or more? Let's just start at five years. Five years or more. Okay, good number. Let's go, let's just, let's up the, let's up the ante. How about 10 years or more? Okay, I'm going to get mushy. How about 15 years or more? So to our new members, look what people put up with. Wow, this is an amazing group of people to join yourselves to because, oh, we're so thankful you guys are here. Um, And we so long for both new and older members, oh, to set our hands freshly to the plow And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness together. Amen. And that brings us really to this this Advent series. During this series, we're going to learn that when we receive the gift of Christ, we experience God with us personally. And you experience that in wonderful ways. Peace, joy, love, and hope. And when we experience the gift of Christ in his church... There's something similar. It's we experience God corporately in peace and joy and love and hope. God was with us personally and corporately is going to be so important in the coming months and years as we seek to fulfill the great commission that God has given us to in making disciples locally and globally. Uh, And especially as he would add to our church new members and new attenders and saving new souls. And, and, and so it's going to require every member to be a minister. It's going to require every member to be a minister. It's, it's going to require a growing need for ministry workers from our youngest children to our senior saints. And the last thing that I want you to hear when we make those needs and opportunities known is that we just need more cogs for the machinery I think people have felt that in churches. I think it, it just become, they just become program-driven. And if a church gets program-driven rather than gospel-driven, people just become cogs to get the job done, to produce the product. Oh, God, keep us from that. Instead, we pray that we will experience Christ giving us grace the way Paul describes it to the church at Thessalonica. He says this, they were known by their works of faith. They were known by their labors of love. Well, those are people that are experiencing Christ personally and corporately in love, in peace, and joy, and love, and hope, and they're not seeing the church as just this club, something that I just attend, something that I just come for personal benefit for, but some, I have been saved by grace for for a personal relationship with God in the context of God's people and serving God's people and how we pray that God would use this advent series to help reinforce and inspire and renew us in what it means to be a church family that is seeking to make mature and multiply disciples. So in this first advent message we're going to focus on God with us in peace and our main point this morning is that in Christ God is with us to give us peace with him peace Within and peace with each other. And we're going to start unpacking that in Matthew 1 18 through 23. Only two points this morning. God is with us, God with us. And the first point is experiencing the gospel of peace in the coming of Jesus. God with us personally and corporately is nothing new, it's always been his plan, it's, it's as old as creation. Adam and Eve both experienced God very personally as their creator and as the one who breathed the breath of life into them. Very personal, very personal with God. And remember, there was no sin at this point. So it was very personal. But God was with them in community as a couple, as they walked. So the scripture really highlights this sense of community because it talks about how they walked with God in the garden, in the cool of the day. They experienced God's presence personally, and they experienced God's presence in community. And it was reflected in the way they loved each other. It was reflected in the way they honored each other. It was reflected in the way they preferred each other above themselves. It was reflected in the way that they wanted to inspire each other to bring glory to God. Oh, it was so wonderful. God with us from the very beginning. So you know the story. They sinned, and they were evicted out of Eden, and they were prevented from coming back by a flaming sword and massive and intimidating guardian angels. They felt their separation from God in a profound way. You know what I pray sometimes? I pray, God, please give us a sense of what it was like to be separated from God the way Adam and Eve felt it, so powerfully and personally, because too many of us don't don't recognize the hopeless dilemma we have unless God comes with his grace. We are are, are without hope in the world. Oh God, let us know what it is, what it feels like, what it is like to be separated from you by our sin so that we can rejoice in how wonderful it is to be united with you and adopted by you as sons and daughters. And it's important to notice that when sin separated man from God, there was no longer peace with God. There was enmity now with God. The Man and woman thought they knew best. They, they were, were uh, big enough and smart enough to decide what is right and wrong. They didn't need divine revelation for that. Do you realize that even before Adam and Eve sinned, they still needed divine revelation from God? How much more do we need it as sinners? There was no longer peace upwardly. And because there was no peace upwardly, there was no peace inwardly. There was no peace in the heart. Things like guilt and fear and worry ruled the heart. Anybody relate to that? And when there was no peace upwardly and no peace inwardly, you know what's next? There was no peace outwardly. There was no peace in human relationships. Instead of confessing their sin to God, they ignited what may have well been a nuclear bomb in human relationships. Instead of blessing each other as before, they began blame shifting. You remember what Adam... Before sin, Eve is created and Adam bursts into a romantic song. (laughs) I mean, it was a covenant pledge and a recognition of God's providence. But it was also communicating love and thankfulness. Oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Only to after sin. He's not blessing God anymore. He's blaming the woman. Boy, it messes things up outwardly in relationships doesn't it instead of being allies they became adversaries have you ever felt like that in your marriage instead of having intimacy it was more intimidation instead of truthfulness there was treachery they were not peacemakers they were peace breakers so we're going to touch more on that peace dimension at the end of the sermon but how are you doing right now at being at peace with God that, 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 would, that would be answered in two ways. That would be answered for maybe some of you is that you don't have peace with God because you're not born again. You're still not in a right relationship with God. Your sin is still separating you from God. You haven't accepted the bridge God gave. To the, the one hand of that bridge had his hand in, in God's hand and the other hand in that bridge he extends to man's hand and on the cross he reconciles the two. He bears the punishment of the sin that that we deserve to be punished for. And in Christ Jesus, God can reconcile sinner and holy God. It's such a wonderful thing. Are you at peace with God like that? And if you are, you may be struggling. And one of the ways to go back to see how are you doing being at peace with God, are you having struggles having the peace of God? Are you been more ruled by worry and fear lately than you have by faith and trust? Where is your heart there? I I would suggest go back to your walk, to your experience of salvation, to the cross, and remember what Jesus has done to make things right between you and God through the shedding of his blood. Remember that you're at peace with God. And if you're at peace with God, that opens the floodgates for you to have the peace of God. Does that make sense? You know what I think the peace of God looks like? I think it looks like Jesus asleep in the boat during the storm. (laughs) I think that's what what the peace of God looks like. Circumstances don't shake it. Because you're right with God and there's peace within. So I wonder how you're doing there. How are you doing relationally? So I'm going to get nosy here. Husbands and wives... What's the, what's the temperature of the peace in your house right now? What's the temperature of the peace in your relationships? Isn't this great news? Jesus has come to bring it, right? He's come to bring it. He's come to restore it. But what we know is a world, the world is hurled into chaos if God's not with us. The world goes to hell if God's not with us. So from the sin of Adam forward, the goal of all redemptive history was God with us. The rest of the story is about how can a holy God once again dwell personally and corporately with an unholy people? And God gave signs along the way that he was going to restore that. He was once again going to be God with us. And he gave these signs and symbols. And you saw the sign and symbol of that promise in the pillar of smoke and fire guiding the Israelites through the wilderness. There was a hint, there was some symbol and sign that God would be with us. You saw in the way that the Israelites pitched camp in their wilderness wanderings. Three tribes would camp on the east side of the tabernacle. Three on the west three tribes to the north three tribes to the south and oh it was pictured that God was there the tabernacle was in the center of it all that God was there dwelling with his people that's what he wanted to be the tabernacle and temple displayed God with his people once a year when the glory cloud fell on the day of atonement the innocent blood was shed and God would be with them when God led them to the promised land, the people were, were understanding that really as a, as a restoration of Eden. This was a land dripping with milk and honey. And, and, and the best part of it is, oh, just maybe God will be with us there. Well, but like Adam and Eve in the garden, the Israelites sinned horribly in the promised land. And just as Adam and Eve were evicted east of Eden, Israel would be led captive out of Israel To the east in Babylon. I'm just not talking about history, am I? It's our story. It's a human history. It's a story of each one of our lives, and it's a story of my life, of my sin, of my rebellion of my having no peace upwardly or inwardly or outwardly. But more importantly, it's God's story of redemptive history and how he has foretold in prophecy that he's going to once again be God with us by sending a better and perfect pillar of fire and smoke, a better and perfect tabernacle and temple, and a better and perfect promised land of peace and rest. He was going to send himself Way better. Isn't that way better? Oh, it's way better. And his name would be called Emmanuel. God with us personally and as a people in the incarnation of Christ. As we learned in John 1, Eric, thank you for reading that this morning. When the Son of God became flesh, he became what he was not without ceasing to be what he was. He was God incarnate. I was reading this week. I told Eric that it, guys, we've lost so much in terms of our our corporate worship. And because we're so moved by efficiency and clocks and timing and all these things, it, it, it used to be that if John 1 was read, when it would come to the part where it said, and the word became flesh, congregations would do this. You don't have to do that with your physical needs, but does your heart do that? The Word became what? For me? The Word became flesh. He became what He was not. He became a human being, never ceasing to be God. He, He became someone who knew pain. He had to take naps. He had to be fed. He had to be cared for by a mother and a father. He experienced the worst of temptation without giving in to it. He experienced the worst of rejection and isolation and loneliness, even though he never wronged anyone but loved everyone. And he became a man who could do the most ungodlike thing possible die. How did it come to be that Jesus could be both fully God and fully man? Well, that wasn't a new thought. In, Ma- in Matthew one twenty two, it tells us that this news that God was going to come to be with us as being both fully God and fully man was prophesied in Isaiah 7. And so for our parents and youth, that's what I'm going to teach on tonight is, is the prophecy in Isaiah 7 that, that is fulfilled in Matthew that we're studying now. Um, The prophecy is being fulfilled in Matthew 1, and the scripture tells us how it happened. How does God come to be with us, never stop being God, but become fully man? Fully God, fully man. It tells us how it happened. In eighteen, verse 18 and 20, it says that a virgin was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This son would be called God, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, let's get something straight. At this point, God being with us, if us is sinners, that's bad grammar, if us is sinners. <laughs> bad grammar, but I hope you got the point. God, thrice holy, holy, holy God, being with an unrepentant sinner, is not good news. The Bible calls us sons of disobedience, children of wrath, who because of our sin have more in common with the devil than with the Lord. Being in the presence of a holy God as an unholy sinner is not good news. Being in the presence of a holy God as an unholy sinner means judgment. If there's no one to mediate between God and man. And this is why Christmas, precious ones, should cause us to reverently fear God before our fears are relieved by God. And that's, that's a, I, listen, I, I used to be the Grinch who stole Christmas. I used to be Scrooge. I used to, and this was as a Christian. Because I was so self righteous. Oh, this, yeah. Jen and I went to see Christmas Carol at the community theater the other night, and the Lord just reminded me that was you, <laughs> Scrooge rama You just. But there is a danger, isn't there? And, and, and we, just, we just need to be intentional about it. There's nothing a- immoral about it. It's a very amoral thing, but all the lights and this and that and this and that. It can distract us from the thought that Christians should, Christmas should trouble us before we experience its triumph. It should trouble us first. And that's why the shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night were sore afraid. <laughs> I know this, that's King James, right? They were sore afraid, which is way more afraid than so afraid. Sore afraid is way worse. And, and why is that? They weren't afraid merely because they were shepherds standing before angels. They were afraid because they were sinners standing before God. That's why they were afraid. R.C. Sproul comes to the rescuer and helps us really shine a light on this. It's in your notes. What every human being needs to be saved from is God. The last thing in the world an impenitent sinner ever wants to meet on the other side of the grave is God. But the glory of the gospel is that the one from whom we need to be saved is the very one who has come to save us. Thank you, Lord. So our text in Matthew tells us in verse 21 that Joseph was to name this newborn king Jesus. Here's the good news. It wasn't just God with us as sinners, holy God, unrepentant sinners, eternal judgment. No, this is really good news in this text because they were to call his name Jesus. Why? Because he came to save his people from the judgment that their sins deserved and to reconcile them back to God. And I love what Daryl Bach says here, humanly Humanity has nothing to fear when God moves in grace. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that? Jesus was not born, listen, the way you and I are born. If the origin of his birth was from a human father, he would have had Adam's guilt imputed to him and inherited by him just as we do. And if that would have happened, he would be disqualified as someone who could take away our sins because he would have to atone for his own sins. He couldn't be a sin deliverer. He would have to atone for his own. But because he was born of a virgin through the work of the Holy Spirit, he was born fully human, yet without sin. This allowed him to actually die as the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. That's why the name Jesus should be the sweetest name we know. There's an old song, wasn't there an old song? Jesus, 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 you're the sweetest name I know master, savior, Jesus. I, those of you who have an actual memory, <laughs> you're going, some of that is in that song. But I, I'm sorry. I'm not remembering at all, but listen, guys. he entered the world as a child, so he could die on the cross as our sacrifice. He was conceived in a womb so he could be crucified on a cross. He died as a man to give eternal life to men. Oh, we cannot minimize the connection between the cradle and the cross. And that's why every Christmas that will be there. We can't minimize that connection. All of this so that God could be with us. Not just God with me. That's where we privatized it. So not just God with me and it's not God with everybody. It's God with all who turn in repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. And I hope for the rest of your life, you'll see the gospel in Matthew one twenty Three short words, God with us. The gospel's right there. The God with us. How is the gospel right there? Well, he's God with us as the sacrifice for our sins. He's God with us in our regeneration and call of salvation. He's God with us in our justification. He's God with us in our adoption. He's God with us in our sanctification. He's God with us as sons and daughters. He's God with us in forgiveness. He's God with us in grace and mercy. He's God with us in wisdom. He's God with us in the power to obey his commands and the desire to make disciples As we're going to learn in this Advent series, he's God with us in peace and joy and love and hope. He's God with us in peace because Christ is our mediator at the cross and our intercessor at the throne. And because Christ made peace with God for us, we can experience the peace of God even in the worst of times the unexplainable peace that will guard and guide our hearts and minds the way Paul describes in Philippians. Because God is with us, there is not one moment where his eye is off of you. Not one moment when he's distracted from you. There's not one moment when his care is inconsistent, not one moment when he's absent from us, not one moment where he's powerless to help us, not one moment that his love ever fails. <laughs> no, he sees your tears, he hears your cry, he knows your needs, he feels your weakness, he knows when you sin. As I'm looking at this, I'm starting to sound like he knows when you've been sleeping. <laughs> I never intended it to go that direction, but I'm sorry. He does know when we sin, and he also knows he died for that sin. And he's with you now to help you overcome that sin in the future. Precious ones, God is not so great so that he doesn't pay attention to you. That happens in the world, doesn't it? People become so great (laughs) that they're too good for the little people. Right, they're too good for the little people, not God. God is so great so that he'll never leave you or forsake you. There's a lot of peace in that, isn't there? A lot of peace in that. The incarnation fulfills God's ancient promises to rescue us from everything that threatens us. And was When I was preparing, there's just these moments as you're preparing that the Lord seems to Tug on your heart a little bit and to just say, slow down. Because this really applies to some people. Let me repeat that again. The incarnation fulfills God's ancient promises to rescue us from everything that threatens us. Why do we say that? Well, because he starts with the judgment we deserve. I don't know that all the other things you're dealing with right now that is threatening you. Fear is such a false prophet. You know, it just makes, oh, what I fear is going to happen. And it's just so many things. So many things. Listen, what you and I needed to be satisfied to be solved first and foremost, what most threatened us was an unrepentant heart and the judgment our sins deserved. And if you're a born-again believer, can't you say this morning? And he rescued me. He rescued me from my hard heart. He gave me love and faith for him. He's given me an eternal salvation. If he saved me from that, what do I need to fear? I hope that can encourage some folks today. He rescues us from the fear of an uncertain future. How about possible disease or sickness or poverty or war? Worry as a parent about your kids and the future they're facing. Listen, go back to the cross. He rescued you from your biggest need. Of course, he's going to be with you in everything else you're dealing with today. Christmas season can be a season of loneliness instead of a joy, filled with reminders of loss or disappointment, dreams unfulfilled or hopes not realized. But, But precious ones, don't dread Christmas. Christmas is for these people. It's for you that this season exists. Not the culture, not Walmart, not Amazon. It's for us. God made the birth of Christ. That's what this season, this celebration, it's made for broken people. This isn't sentimental news for happy people. Christmas is comforting news for broken people. Emmanuel has come, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And that's how Matthew 28 ends. So you just can look at that for yourself. So because we're at peace with God and salvation and have the peace of God in our souls, we can then express and experience the peace of God together as a church in both our ministry to one another and our witness to the lost. And we get a sense of this, uh, in the good news that was proclaimed to the shepherds. And this is just our last point. It's, it's nowhere near as long as the first. So the second point is God with us becoming a people of peace because of the coming of Jesus. There was a multitude of heavenly hosts. This is angel armies. This is picture the marines, declaring the glory of God. This is not. This is not hallmark. <laughs> These are not hallmark angels or there's, what was it? What is it? Those little figurines, this little statue. It's very famous company. Precious moments. This is not precious moments, angels, right? Praise God for precious moments. But this is not that. This is the Marines. This is, this is the armies of the Lord. This is the armies of the Lord. And why were they there? Because they follow their king wherever he goes, even when he's laid down in a manger and they declared glory to God in the highest I just hope glory doesn't become just a cliche word for us. Glory is a word that means something beautiful, something wonderful, something massive is being revealed for what it truly is with the result that it be adored or loved or compelled by it, that the heart be compelled by it. Easy way to describe it is the difference between a rose that's still just as a bud and a rose that's in full bloom. Which rose is in its glory? Full bloom, right? Because you can see it for what it is. Oh God, may you ever be more glorified in our church and in our hearts because we are more clearly seeing Jesus for who he is for the rest of eternity. Oh God, may you receive that kind of glory. And that's what's happening here. God is revealing himself like never before because God has become fully God, fully man, laid in a manger, coming to die on a cross. Oh, we're getting to see something wonderful here that is supposed to draw us out of our hearts, that's supposed to wake us up out of our lethargy, that's supposed to melt our hearts with gratitude and give us fresh hope for the future. That's what it means. Oh, glory to God in the highest. And his highest glory, this is what blows you away. The highest glory, the revelation of who he is, is for shepherds. Include you in there. This he God receives his highest glory for the least and lowly. He came for the least and lowly. Do you see yourself as the least and lowly? Or is your identity still more and you hold a master's degree, or you've accomplished this, or you you've you finally got that house, or you finally have accomplished, you finally got into ministry. Got, there's just so many things that we find ourselves kind of climbing this self-exaltation ladder. Oh, isn't it good news that he came? His highest glory was revealed to the least and the lowly, to the outcast, to the forgotten, to the sinful, to the shameful. God's glory in the highest is when God reaches down to the lowest. I have put myself there. Do you? He puts his love down so low, so welcoming, so accessible that anyone can get in on it. That's why... I'm asking the Lord, Lord, please let my knees last until I die. Because <laughs> I just, I, I do it with our kids here. I'm, I'm not just doing this because, there's a method to my madness. I'm not, when, when I see our children at SGC, especially if I see my grandchildren even more, right? I'll, I'll get down. I'll get down. Because I don't want them to think of, a, of a, a shepherd, of a pastor as being inaccessible. Where am I getting that? Because the chief shepherd is not inaccessible. How much more approachable and accessible could God make himself than a baby in a manger who would die for the chief of sinners? Oh, what a savior. What a savior. And because of all that, there can be peace among those with whom he is well pleased. It's interesting phrase, isn't it? This isn't earning God's pleasure by your good works so that you can have peace. That's not it. This is experiencing God's pleasure in his giving you peace as a gift of his grace because Christ earned it for you through his work on the cross. That's the peace God wants to give. That's the gift. That's the salvation. It's a grace gift. May may God, may we experience peace among ourselves for those with whom he is well pleased. With those, essentially you can put it this way. With those who have received him by grace through faith. That's what it is. Peace isn't just an absence of conflict, it's the presence of Christ. And because Christ is is with us, that Hebrew word shalom, it's talking about this complete sense of well-being. There's contentment in play here. There's joy in play here. There's peace in play here. There's rest in play here. It's the experience of being made whole. And it's because you're being, you've been made right with God because of the sacrifice of Christ and you're being made complete in Christ in terms of your mind and your uh, emotions and your will. That's the soul. That's your heart. So where is peace lacking in your thinking? Where have you, where have you not enjoyed peace and rest? Where, where does that need to be in your thinking? How has your thinking affected your emotions? And how has your thinking and your emotions affected your choices? God wants to make you whole. Isn't that good news? That's what shalom is. He's come to give peace among men upon whom his favor rests. It was, it was like it was, it, in, in the Old Testament, this word referred to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing blocks. The idea is that because of sin and separation from God, life, sin made life really complicated. It, full of moving parts and relationships and situations and finitude and frailties. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your peace breaks down. Probably happened to some of us this week. We were just, we just finished getting that last Christmas gift. Only to discover that I didn't see the other three names on my list. I mean, it just so, it, isn't it amazing? How we can go, ah. Ah it just we can lose our peace so easily. Peace is always going to need to be restored in a fallen world, and that's why Jesus comes. Through his death for our sins, Jesus restores us to wholeness. Our broken relationship with God is made whole. We, he makes us whole again in our thinking, as we renew our minds with His word and in the feelings He gives us as a result. And the spirit giving us ability to make godly and obedient choices for him. It's not just peace with God. It's not just peace within. It's also peace for the broken relationships between sinful people. Those who are following him as Lord and Savior. And this is people of all ages. Men and women. People of all ethnicities. People of all educational backgrounds. Income levels. They all become a new people in Christ. And that new people is called the church. And so this is really in closing. I just wanted to just see how how the Bible describes this new people, this people of peace, and why it's going to be so important moving forward for us as a church family. So could you follow along? It's in your notes. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place. You see that God with us? A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Guys, he didn't just send us Jesus. For our personal salvation. He also sent us Jesus. So that he could give us his peace. As a new people. A new community. His presence. Amongst us. The peace that we would enjoy. Listen. People just don't find this in the world. They're not going to find a gathering of people. That are quick to repent. And quick to forgive. And you don't have to look like me. To be welcome here. They're not going to find that. They're going to find people who are constantly peacemaking, constantly being patient with the slow change of a sinful heart because they have to be patient with their own slow change. The church is meant to be an apologetic of the presence of Jesus in the world. We're supposed to explain that only a God saving and being present with his people could do this kind of stuff with his people. That's why if a grandfather is working in children's ministry, listen, listen, if a parent is working in children's ministry, praise God, but that's just natural. That's just should be, that's kind of a normal, right? Grandpa, what, you don't even have any kids in, you don't, do you have any grandkids in there? No, you, what, what is the deal? Christ is the deal. He's present in his church. And this isn't a gathering that we just do naturally. This is a gathering in which his supernatural power and grace and love and forgiveness are put on display. That's that's the joy of this, you guys. He's invited us into something amazing. That's why God says, don't neglect it because you're only hurting yourself. You're only hurting yourself. Eric, would you come? And we will we'll close this this morning. You know, the last thing, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, that not only is Christ a gift personally to us in salvation, not only is Christ's church a gift to us as a family, but you know what? This people of peace and then next week joy and the next week love and the next week hope, God intended the church to be a gift to the world. Would you stand with me? As Eric comes, uh, Steve and Amy, you guys, I think, are our prayer team this morning. Would you come to, and this is a wonderful morning, a wonderful morning to pray with a brother or sister, because there's just no way that all of us came into this room today having peace within, No way. There's no way all of us came into this room today that there's not broken peace between other believers. And it may be husband and wife. It could be an uncle. It might be another member of the church. There's just no way. And this is, Listen, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. You're in the place where we can grab each other by the hand and go back to the cross and be able to say, did you see what he did to make peace? Between a sinner and a holy God. Oh, my goodness. Certainly, if he rescued me from what most threatened me. Oh, he's going to take care of me and all my other needs. And so then, look what starts happening because of the cross. You start having peace within. And it's peace within that really is such a key to extending peace to other people so if you need prayer today Steve and Amy will be here please come avail yourself of that I'll hang out in the back east foyer <laughs> I just get these crazy thoughts because I probably should be oh east oh my goodness east of Eden and east toward Babylon maybe I'll, maybe I'll be in the west corner today um, we would just love to minister and pray for you meet you if you're here new I'll, I'll close this in prayer in just a minute Eric, would you